If you're here for the first, second, or third time and you've got that cool-looking connection card thing, uh, fill that out. Don't put it in yet. Uh, at the end of the services, as you walk outside, there's going to be a really nice table on your left uh, with amazing people there. They've got a gift for you. Turn that in there, uh, and they want to say thank you. We all want to say thank you for being here with us today. So uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, and there are cards and stuff uh, as you leave. But next week is our fall kickoff. This is a uh, a big day as we start our new uh, ministry year and everything. We're doing a tri-tip lunch after second service. Uh, if you're interested in helping out with that, not just the eating part, but the serving or cleaning up and then eating part, uh, fill out a card in there and then you can get invite cards as you head out. It's going to be a great service to invite people that know you that don't yet know Jesus or know Jesus and just aren't plugged in anywhere. This is our invitation Sunday, the biggest of them all because really every Sunday is invitation. Sunday. Uh, so I encourage us, let's, let's make a big deal about this uh, as we go forward. So uh, s- drastically changing subjects. Last summer, I locked my kid in the car. Uh, it was Micah, the three and a half year old. He was two and a half then. He was in his car seat uh, and he is not strong enough to pop open that lock and not smart enough to open the door and everything. His legs weren't long enough to be able to hit like the door open button on our van. Uh, so he was, I, we were headed to Lowe's to return some stuff. I had my keys in the car. I put the thing we were returning on top of the car, ratcheted it down, shut the door, locked it, and was outside. So I realized, okay, this, this is not good. At least we were in the garage. It was the middle of the day. So outside, it was 100 plus. Inside the garage, it was a balmy 97, 98. Uh, but thankfully, he was in the shade. So I took out my phone, called AAA. And you know that announcement at the beginning of every time that you call somebody like that? If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. You never really think about that until your kid is locked inside the car and you're out. So this time I, I kind of laughed and said, yeah, this kind of is an emergency. Hung up, dialed 911. Uh, they didn't seem nearly as alarmed as I did because I just stuck my third born in an oven. Uh, and, uh, and they said, okay, we'll get somebody over to you right away. And, and at that moment, like, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm upset. This isn't what we do as parents. Uh, and then I started to hear the fire engine sirens. Okay, th- and a feeling came over me that was totally different than I had ever known before. Like, usually when you're driving and you hear sirens, you get that hot feeling in your chest of, oh, no, this is not going to go well. Even if it's for somebody else, it's just enough to completely freak you out. Uh, we're close enough to the fire department where we live uh, that you can hear them pretty early. When I was a youth pastor a few years ago, uh, we had a New Year's Eve party where we kind of burned some Christmas trees that we thought were totally safe. Some of the neighbors didn't really agree, and so we got to hear those fire engines sounds again. And so hearing this that morning, like it's totally bringing me back to the fire department coming to our New Year's Eve party. Uh, But instead of being upset, nervous, I was just like, ah, everything is going to be okay because they're on their way. They're going to get here. They're going to pop open the door. There might be some paperwork. My name might get registered somewhere. But my, my son is going to be totally okay because they're on their way. And we could hear it. Like we could hear him coming and knowing, okay, everything's going to be good. And as it got closer, it was just more and more peace. Everything is going to be fine. The sirens that, that we're talking about in that situation, there's a siren in the book of Joel that we're looking at right now, and we have been for the, for, for the last three weeks. We're concluding it today. And it's a phrase that they refer, refer to, and we've titled this series uh, with the same phrase. It's the day of the Lord. The, 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 day, the day of the Lord for them is a wake-up moment. It's, it's an aha. It's a, okay, let, let's do something a little bit differently. But there's a twist to that that we looked at way back in week one that we've kind of pulled through every other week. Because at that point for them, the day of the Lord was when God comes back to make everything right. 
And in this, what we're going to look at today, God comes back to make everything right, and he's bringing judgment, justice, and refuge. They're like, yes, the, the people that God was writing to at this point, they think, yes, that, that, that is good for everyone else because everyone else who's doing everything wrong needs judgment. Uh, they deserve justice, and we are going to be a place of refuge. And Joel, Joel tells, tells them early on, no, 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 this isn't about them. This is about us. It's actually a wake-up call for us. There's a twist to it. Instead of looking out to see how bad everything out there is, let's look inward and see where are the ways that we need to repent, that we need to come back to the people that God created. And so the day of the Lord brings judgment, justice, and refuge. And so we're going to knock out the first 16 verses of this chapter uh, right now. You can go there in your Bible, Joel chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get one. You can buy one on your way out at that info table on your left. If you like a Bible that can live on your phone and it can stay in your purse or your pocket, uh, on your app store, go to Uversion, spell that Y-O-U, version. Uh, download that thing. We read the New Living Translation because it's... It's God's words and our words that are easy to understand and relate to. Uh, so I encourage you to find God's words somewhere, uh, whether it's paper and ink or on an app. Let's read uh, Joel chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. At the time of those events, says the Lord, when I restore the prosperity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the armies of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, for scattering my people across the, among the nations, and for dividing up my land. They threw dice to decide which of my people would be their slaves. They traded boys to obtain prostitutes and sold girls for enough wine to get drunk. What do you have against me, Tyre and Sidon, for you cities of Philistia? For you tried to take revenge on me. If you are, then watch out. I will strike swiftly and pay you back for everything you have done. You have taken my silver and gold and all my precious treasures and have carried them off to your pagan temples. You've sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks so they can take them from their homeland. But I will bring them back from all the places which you sold them and I will pay you back for everything you have done. I will sell your sons and your daughters to the people of Judah and they will take them to the people of Arabia and nation far away. I, the Lord, have spoken. So say to the nations far and wide, get ready for war. Call, call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack. Hammer your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Come quickly, all you nations everywhere. Gather together in the valley. And now, O oh Lord, call out your warriors. Let the nations be called to arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I, the Lord, will sit and pronounce judgment on them all. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread the grapes, for the winepress is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision, and there the Lord will soon arrive. The sun and the moon will grow dark, and the stars will no longer shine. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a strong fortress for the people of Israel." So in the day of the Lord, we see God's judgment that makes everything right again. This is the beginning. This is a, an episode of God bringing back situations to the way that he first created it. In Genesis 1, we, we hear and we read about God creating the world and the place where he puts our first parents, a man named Adam, a woman, woman named Eve, is in a garden called Eden. This is God's re-Edenization project. He's taking things that were broken and bringing them back to be totally restored and right again. 
I hear, you hear that phrase, I think about it, and I think of my daughter who we named Eden. Uh, we got a picture of her on there. That, that is very indicative of her personality. She is nine and a half, and she is innocent and soft and couldn't make it through the movie Ice Age without crying for three hours. Like, like she is just everything that is fragile and beautiful and good in life. And I was thinking the other day, uh, she, she just had her half birthday. She was born on leap day, which comes around once every four years. So when she gets to celebrate a half birthday, it's like kind of a thing for us. Hey, you're nine and a half now. It took me a few, real, a few days to realize nine and a half means she is less than six months from being 10, which means she is less than six months from double digits. And so as a dad, I, I think that, and they're just filled, filled with fear and anxiety and nerves and gun control, and what am I going to do with my daughter as she, like, enters her teen years? Like, th- she couldn't make it through Ice Age because her, so- her heart is so tender. She sings, like, whenever she's doing anything. We were at our, uh, my sister's house yesterday, and they're all putting together puzzles and stuff. The kids were, and Eden is just singing away. Like, she does this in class. This is just who she is. And there's going to be times in the next few years where she goes through, like, this horrible life experience called junior high. And she's going to meet other kids who are just rotten. And, and what's going to happen to this little heart I'm thinking about that as she's six months away from double digits. And, and God's saying, I'm going to bring everything back, not to a place of naivete, uh, a place of a nine-and-a-half-year-old girl, but a place where everything is right. It's going back to where you can sing with joy because you're not worried about what other people are thinking, a place where your heart breaks uh, for Sid the sloth and the mammoth and Ice Age for three hours. Uh, and then there's not just this layer of callousness over everything where you just say, ah, that's their problem. But where our hearts are pure. He's saying, I'm bringing everything back to that. And it comes all in the form of judgment. And God is absolutely a judge. And as people who are God followers, we, we have to be agree with that. We look in our lives and, and look at people that we don't like and say, oh, they're so judgmental. What that means is you, you just kind of brush somebody off without really giving them the time of day. You're just like, oh, they're just judgmental. And God is saying that for you as a Christian, judgment is something completely different. Because the way that God judges us, he's protecting us and saving us from ourselves. God's sense of judgment for the Jesus follower is more like a sense of guardrails, okay? What is a guardrail? A guardrail is something that will cause minimal injury to prevent maximum harm, all right? You're driving along on the roadway, and there's a big cliff, and you kind of swerve, and you're going to get a little bit of body damage as your car ride, like, runs up against the guardrail. If the guardrail is not there, what happens is you get a whole lot of physical body damage as you go tumbling down the hill. So a guardrail is there for, for basically as the, the road system to say, hey, wake up. Wake up. You need to start changing. You can't do that anymore. God, as a judge, comes in and says, I'm going to put guardrails around your life. Because when you run awry, when there's stuff in your life that you're doing that isn't going to end well for you long term, I'm going to wake you up. There's going to be a little bit of minimal pain to prevent a maximum disaster. And so God comes in as a judge and he, and he brings judgment on us. For people who don't follow Jesus, the idea of God the judge is something that's completely different. Because we believe that a life with Jesus here on earth means an eternity with Jesus uh, forever in a place that the Bible calls heaven. You flip that around and, and the more that we say, God, I don't want you here, I don't want you in my life, the more that our eternity resembles 
an eternity away from Jesus or an eternity away from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And this is not something that we nor God uh, are ever excited about. God looks at it and it breaks his heart. He mourns the loss of life. He mourns the loss of relationship. He didn't create hell on a good day and he's like, yeah! It breaks his heart and it should break ours the same for people who aren't walking with Jesus. So the day of the Lord brings judgment. Secondly, the day of the Lord brings justice. Verse 1 through 8, everything that, that Joel the prophet is railing against isn't people or isn't just big uh, governments who are doing things inappropriately as governments. It's people who are treating people poorly. And so Joel the prophet is saying, hey, wake up. There are people, there are sons and daughters of God who are not being treated the way that God created them. And this is something that really matters to Jesus. Our relationship with God isn't just something that's vertical where we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're just going to center all of our energies on that. And if we offend other people horizontally, well, that's their fault. That's not the way that God, that God made us. It's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus says you love God with everything that you are. If you can imagine a way that's possible for you to love God, love him in that way, and on top of that, have that same love and drive and desire to do right at every time for everyone around you. He's saying the second commandment, it's equally important. The way that you love people should be a reflection of the way that you love Jesus. And so when that doesn't happen, there's an anger. There is a a resolve from God to go out and make things right. What he says there in that passage that we just read at the end, I think it's around verse 7. He's talking about taking people and moving them far away. And he says, if you keep mistreating my people, I'm going to bring your people to Judah. And then the people in Judah are going to send them all the way to Arabia. And then he closes with the line, I am the Lord. That's God's signature stamp of saying, don't mess with me on this. Why? Because God cares about the way that people are treated. As there's injustice and brokenness and oppression in our world, God just doesn't look the other way. God's heart is broken for it. Guys, God's eyes are on it. He's looking for ways. He knows ways. He's mobilizing people to end the oppression, to end the brokenness, to bring up people out of oppression and into freedom. I think this means two things. That, that God's heart for injustice, that God's heart for breaking that and leading people into freedom is what's mobilized Christians for hundreds of years to sometimes take a one-way trip into broken situations, doing everything as far as laying down their life for other people to have freedom. This is what Christians have done forever, that as God has loved us, as Jesus gave us freedom on the cross, so God sends us into those broken systems because Jesus is aware of the areas where there's brokenness, where there's persecution, where there's oppression, where there's injustice. And he says, I'm going to send my people there to make a difference, empowered by my spirit, to see my will done there, and to end people who are fighting against my children. And secondly, when when we're the ones who are the victim, when we're on the victim side of the oppression, God is our refuge and our fortress. He says at the very end that in the midst of all of this happening, the sky goes dark, the stars stop shining. What happens in the middle of this? The Lord will be a refuge for his people and a strong fortress for the people of Israel. God fights for the victims because people always matter. There's a verse in the book of Romans that You've probably seen on a mug or on a shirt. Your grandma probably has it embroidered on a pillow or something. 
It says this, it says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for tomorrow, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think we understand that verse. We know that verse. Some of us have memorized that verse. But we really live on the two outsides where it says at the very beginning, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. And at the end, nothing can separate us from God's love. And we forget the middle. We forget the middle that because when we're in the darkness, when we're in the worries for today or the cares about tomorrow, when we're in the middle of the powers that fight against God and fight against us, that's where we forget. That's where we forget that we're not actually separated from God's love. And that's where God looks at this and says, that is where I'm going to put the fortress. You think about it, if we can all just step into the life of a military commander for just one second. Where do you want a fortress? You don't want a fortress where everything is going to be peaceful all the time. You want it in the middle of the brokenness. You want it in the middle of the storm. You want it in the middle of the darkness. So that's where your people, where you can run to find safety. And I think if we go around this room, we're going to hear story upon story upon story about how people like us have met God in the middle of the storm and how that changed everything for us. He's not saying, I'm going to wait out on the peaceful parts where there's no war, where there's no conflict, where you're never going to get hurt in any way, shape, or form, and that is where I'm going to set up my, my sanctuary for you. He says, I'm going to go to where it's the worst. I'm going to go to where it's the darkest. I'm going to go to where you need me the most, where you feel like you are at the end of your rope, and that's where you're going to find me. And I think if we go around person after person, we're going to be able to tell stories of how that's happened and how we've walked through and found out on the other side that nothing actually can separate us from God's love. That we've experienced this, that our lives tell this. God says, I'm going to restore what's been lost. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to be your refuge. I'm going to be your fortress. And then I'm going to use you to set people free. Because God's desire is to bless us. God's desire isn't just to come in and take care of us and save us. There's going to be a siren that goes off. That's God coming in to make everything neutral. No, he's also going to fill us up and send us out. He's going to bless us to be a blessing. So I'm in my driveway. I'm looking for the fire truck. I hear the sirens. They're getting louder. The fire truck, big massive thing, pulls up in front of our house. It's like Christmas Day for Micah because the fire truck has come. He doesn't know it yet because he's still locked in the car seat, faced the opposite way. And so they get out, and they're not saying, you are a horrible parent. Do you realize how hot it is? Do you realize that if we took 17 hours more, something bad could happen to your kid? They'd smile, and they say, yeah, we've done stuff like this too. We do stuff like this all the time, and we open doors for parents uh, who accidentally lock their kids in. Everything's fine. It's mercy, it's compassion, it's forgiveness. And so they take their tools right over the window, stick it in there, pop it out, open the door, and Micah's just so excited. Because not only did he get to play with his blanket in the car for 15 minutes, but the door opens and there's a firefighter. It's like heaven for him. He's like, not only do I get to spend time with dad talking through the window, but now there's a firefighter. This is great. It gets better. And his his sisters are inside the whole time. We just put on a show for them because we didn't want them outside freaking out while dad freaked out. So they have no clue what's going on. He gets like an individual guided tour around the fire truck. He gets a big sticker. That's how they found out. He walks in with a sticker and the girls are like, where's our sticker? Where did you get that? They were here. 
But it's the whole idea that God just doesn't save us and, and just kind of say, okay, everything's going to be fine. He says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. What, what God has done in us, he doesn't mean just to stay in us like we're some big spiritual container. He wants us to be a sieve of his blessing, to let his blessing fall out through us. And let's think about this just for one second. What is our relationship with God based on and how does it fill us? It's based on the fact that every single one of us don't deserve it. Okay, I'll just use myself for example, all right? I started lying at a very young age, and that's actually a true statement, okay? Because I realized that saying one thing probably negates the other really early, okay? And as I got older, I found more and more ways to tell God, I don't deserve a relationship with you. Multiple things. So what does Jesus do? He comes in and he says, at the beginning of you not deserving a relationship with me, I'm going to bring you into a relationship with me. 2,000 years before you were born, I'm going to die on a cross to forgive you of your sins. Not the better version of you. The version of you that completely does not deserve a relationship. But instead of just kind of making you even, instead of just bringing you neutral now, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. That, that's God who's going to come live inside of you. Think about that. The, the craziest thing that you've ever done that just make you no longer want to be you. The Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to invade that life. And from the inside, we're going to work this out. We're going to turn this around. We're going to take what was broken and we're now going to restore it. And I'm going to stay there every day until you cease to breathe and you go to be in heaven with Jesus. That's what we have in a relationship with God. He says the first blessing that you have is a relationship with me. It's that there's forever forgiveness of sin. That there's the Bible, which is the book that God wrote for us. It's his love letter to us to tell us every day and every time we open it how much we matter to him. It's God saying my spirit is going to be in you forever. And whatever you walk into, however much darkness and brokenness there is, I'm staying and I'm going to make a difference inside of you, empowering you to make a difference everywhere you go. That's the blessing. That's how Jesus has blessed us to be a blessing. We're blessed with a personal relationship with Jesus. And in our fallen nature, I think we, we twist this one, or one of two ways. One way is we look at everything that we need to do, our relationship with Jesus, this relationship that we absolutely do not deserve, that is graciously handed to us by our God who loves us. And we say, you know what, if I'm not in church every single week, God's going to be disappointed with me and I need to do this to keep that relationship up. If I don't follow all of these rules, I need to do this to keep that relationship up. If I don't do this, if I don't do that, if I don't do this, I mean, let's just pause that for a second, okay? That type of life is exhaustive. What God wants to do instead is draw us to him, knowing that we will never live up to the list that he could make for us. Instead, he says, just, just do life with me. Give me everything and when you fall short, there's forgiveness. When you feel weak, there's the Holy Spirit to give you strength that you don't have, that you don't deserve. But do everything for me. And of course, on the upside, there's the idea that, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And if I screw up, I can just always ask for forgiveness. Now, we, we read in our Shape Journal about that this week. Uh, Shape Journal is our, our church's Bible reading and journaling program that walks us through the Bible and gives God a chance to speak to us every day. 
It says this in Galatians 5.13. It says, you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. God's saying, I've given you everything. I've empowered you with everything that you need. And so now you have the freedom to follow me with everything that you are. So let's go. Follow me. Trust me. If there's an area in your life where you could possibly follow me, that's the one that I want. And I'm going to work with that. And I'm going to work in you in that. So we're blessed with a personal relationship with Jesus. And secondly, we're blessed to bless others because it's not just about me. This type of life only happens if we have God's love living inside us. It only happens as we've said, okay, God, I want you to take everything. I know that I'm weak, and so I want your spirit inside me to make me strong. You know the areas where I'm weak, so these are the places where I need you. And so this month, we're going to talk about go, give, and pray a whole lot as we lead up to live the mission. And this also relates to us letting God bless us to bless others, letting God bless us to be a blessing. And so as we go, we're going everywhere with that mentality. As you go home today, you're going home as a spirit-empowered ambassador of who Jesus is to make a difference in your house. As you go to work, you're going to work as a spirit-empowered ambassador of Jesus to make a difference at your work. The people around us that, that we see and we think, man, Jesus, I want you to send someone to bring them to you. I want you to send someone. God's like, all right, I am sending someone. It's you. I'm empowering you. I'm sending you into that situation to make a difference in their lives. As we go and as we bring the talents and the gifts that God's given us uniquely, he's given us those and wired us to make a difference wherever we go. We also give. And this happens in a ton of different ways. We give forgiveness to people who have offended us because God gave forgiveness to us. We give God time each day to speak to us through his word and and help shape our focus of what we're doing each day. We give out of our finances, giving 10% back of what God has given us. He's filled us up to be a blessing, not to be a dam. And that happens in so many ways. We go, we give, and we also pray. We pray because we know that our strength is finite and when we pray, we're combining God's best with our best. And we say, okay, God, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be a good example of this person on my own. I can't be a good dad, a good mom, a good husband, a good wife, a good son, a good daughter, a good brother, a good sister, a good coworker, a good insert your thing here. God, this is where I need you. This is where I need your best to overwhelm my best and use me to make a difference. And that's where God says, okay, I'm in. I'm in, I'm bringing freedom, I'm bringing new life. And where you have tried your best and found brokenness before, now you're gonna find blessing because I'm gonna meet you with my power and I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing. That's the good news of the day of the Lord is that God is coming, he's coming to make things right around us and in us, bless us and send us out to be a blessing. Let's stand and pray. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you that you didn't uh, look at us in our separation and say we're too far gone, but instead, Lord, uh, you took on the p- humble position of a servant and you gave your life so we could have a relationship with God the Father. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to free you from the inside of you to the outside of you, I'm gonna give you that chance today. 
and you're not saying you're perfect, but you're, you're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here that we know we are so far from perfect, but God meets us with forgiveness and calls us to new life. So if that's you and you've never done that before, I'm going to count to three. And if today's your day to say yes to Jesus, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, there will be somebody uh, there to pray with you. So one, God loves you. Always has, always will. He's never even flinched in his love for you. And today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives where we tell God to get away where we say, I'm doing it my way. That's called sin. And Jesus came to defeat sin in our lives, to forgive us of our sin. And three, today's your day to say yes to your relationship with Jesus. Say yes to forgiveness of sin. Say yes to Jesus coming in and running you from the inside. Is there anyone like that here today? Just look at me and raise your hand. Or today's your day to find forgiveness. Today's your day to find new life. All right, so I want us to, to respond in two ways. Uh, and again, we're going to come to the sides, come up to the front, because we're responding with our feet to confirm what we're asking for in our hearts. It's a step of humility, which attracts God's presence. We're saying, okay, God, these are the people in my life who I want you to make a difference in, and I want you to give me the guts, the, the open door, all those things, to invite them to kick off. And I want them to come next week, and I want them to meet you and be completely changed. And the best part of it is, is you don't have to have any strategy yet because over the next 167 hours, God's going to get involved. God's going to bring you across their path. God's going to work in you to, for you to be the messenger, for you to be the ambassador, the person that he uses to see them changed forever. So we're responding with our feet to say, God, this is what you've laid on my heart. This is what I want to see. And the second area is just all the areas where, where we've asked God to come in and to change us from the inside that we're acknowledging willingly and joyfully that we are not the answer, that Jesus' power flooding over us and changing us can still change everything. Praying for that and for the people that we want to invite to kick off. Let's worship and respond.